pray tonight. Just want to ask you to keep Zuma in special prayer. She's in an emergency room tonight, possible surgery. Uh, Doug just called before the service. And also, Brother Ding, uh, Rowena called and said she needed to stay home tonight and uh, take care of him. And uh, when Rowena misses church, that's something serious. So just want you to remember to lift those two up. Uh, in prayer, if you would. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this night, and Lord, we just ask that you would be in a special way with uh, Zuma. Give the doctors wisdom to know whether this is uh, something that needs to be done right away, or there'd be time to wait and and investigate further. We just ask that you would protect her and, and just work there. Lord, we also pray for Brother Ding. You know uh, much more than we do how many things he has suffered, and we just pray that you would uh, comfort him and ease his pain tonight. Lord, we just ask that you would take our service and allow us to gather around your word and be fed and glorify thy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. All right, take your Bibles if you would, and we're going to look at Revelation chapter 21 and 22 tonight. Uh, We're trying to put together the just some of the pieces here, and uh, I was going through the book of Zechariah and Ezekiel, and... uh, trying to put together the the parallelisms and the connections there and other passages, and uh, it was just way, way too much material to try to cover in one service. So what we're going to do this uh, night, Lord willing, is go through what the Bible actually says about the New Jerusalem, and then hopefully... Uh, go through some of the other passages in the Bible. How many of you have read Ezekiel chapter 40, chapters 40 through 48, the last little section there on the book of Ezekiel? And uh, boy, I was looking through one of the commentaries and and uh, the basic gist of what the, the fellow said was, I kind of feel sorry for those people who have to resort to dispensationalism to make this part of the Bible make any sense. The rest of us who know things know that this part of the Bible doesn't make any sense to anybody and it has no meaning whatsoever. And I'm sitting there just scratching my head going, what kind of nutcase would write explaining the Bible saying that nobody knows what it means and it really doesn't matter? And those that claim that there's actually could be a literal understanding of that passage, boy, they're really stretching it. The rest of us, we can handle it. It's like the fellow that said, you know, Jesus didn't have to rise again for me to believe in God. You know, that's like, I I don't know. I, I don't even... Even a box of rocks makes more sense than that. You know, the old phrase, dumber than a box of rocks. But uh, it it just, it never ceases to amaze me um, uh, how people will take this book and try to pretend it doesn't say what it says. And make God out as somebody who just wasted eight entire chapters of the Bible uh, meandering on and giving incredible detail about something that doesn't matter or connect to anything. And uh, that's not the God of the Bible. Uh, We read some of those passages in Ezekiel 48, and, and that's one of the things I'd hope to do is bring that in. But Uh, I think if we'll spend our time tonight on Revelation 21 and 22, when we go through Ezekiel, uh, you're immediately going to see the connection. When we go through Zechariah, you're immediately going to see connections. These two prophets, hundreds of years apart, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years removed from uh, the time of John and the Revelation, all talking about the exact same thing. 
You know what that tells me? It tells me that those three men had the same source. And that source is the Holy Spirit of God. And so let's just go through here. Revelation chapter 21. We have yet to cover these two chapters in any detail. And and uh, we're not going to try to get every word in tonight. But um, we are going to try to get the message of these two chapters. In verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. I'd like to stop right there and just in uh, in in my thinking, if I can just share this with you, what is left of the other heaven and the earth? After all of the plagues and the judgments in the book of Revelation. I mean, all the green grass is destroyed. The seas has been destroyed. No living thing in it. All the trees are gone. Two-thirds to three-quarter of the population of the earth is gone. The entire land of Israel, uh, somewhere between 150 and 200 miles long, has literally been filled with a river of blood five feet deep. And, and nearly 20 miles wide of the dead from the Battle of Armageddon, I, I want to ask you, there's been no rain for three and a half years. I mean, there is nothing left of the earth that we have and the heaven we know. It's already been turned to sackcloth. It's been rolled up like a scroll Uh, The winds have stopped blowing. I mean, all of the things. I mean, you want global warming. Read the book of Revelation. It's going to get real hot. Uh, The sun is going to actually scorch men. And uh, the earth and the heaven, the sky, the atmosphere above the earth will have been totally destroyed By God's judgments. So what does he do? He makes a new heaven. And a new earth. Amen. That's that's what it says. This is the setting. For the new Jerusalem. No more sea. Now, a lot of people like to take that little phrase and go great distances with it, and and I hope not to do that tonight, but it seems that when God originally created this world in which we lived, the sea surrounded the land. There were no seas uh, dividing the land as we know it today. And, of course, most of our geologists tend to agree with that basic statement And they come up with all these strange things. This huge asteroid hit the earth and and killed all the dinosaurs and and uh, and 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 caused climate change and all of this stuff. We got a real simple answer. It's called Noah's flood. It changed everything. Were there dinosaurs? Absolutely. They lived, and we don't have time to go into that. But when God remakes the heaven and the earth, there's not going to be a sea that separates us. When my grandfather was just a young boy, 17 years old, I believe, he got in the bottom of a big ship in Italy and came to the United States. My father said that he had only talked about it a few times. He said he was seasick the whole way over. And as far as I know, my grandfather kept his promise. He would not even so much as put his foot in a rowboat for the rest of his life. But you know what? He never went back to visit the family. Other family members did. But that sea used to be a huge separation. 
Now we get in an airplane and four or five hours we're uh, across the Atlantic. Six or seven hours you can be across the Pacific Ocean. But in John's days, that was a journey that was not even contemplated. And when God makes the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more sea. We're going to see this theme through these two chapters. No more separation. No more parting of the ways. Does that mean that I believe it's talking about a physical sea. There'll there'll be no more big body of water separating people. But I also believe there's that promise there that God's going to keep us close and close to Him. And we look here, and I, John, verse 2, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, you'll hear some preaching on the bride of Christ. Um, It is only mentioned in this chapter in the Bible. Uh, It is called the Lamb's Wife. And, And I've heard people preach all kinds of things uh, about that. But the New Jerusalem is the bride. Somebody accused me once, well, you, you believe uh, that only Baptist people are going to be in heaven. Well, no, I believe when we get to heaven that we'll be able to look back and understand that the Baptist people were the closest to the truth. So if you want to call that a Baptist bride, be my guest. But uh, uh, I don't believe you need to be a member of a Baptist church to get to heaven. That's not the way it works. I, I do believe... That if you believe correctly about the Bible, you should be a member of a Bible-believing Baptist church. Because historically, that's where it's going to put you. Uh, You take Baptist doctrine, what makes us separate. We call it Baptist distinctives. Though Brother Franz tells me that's not a word, we're going to make it one, all right? Uh, These are distinctive doctrines that the Baptists have held throughout history. One is the supremacy of the Word of God and the authority of the Word of God. No other group can make that claim because the Lutherans, though they say they believe the Bible, how would they be Lutherans if it weren't for Mr. Luther? They understand their Bible through the writings of a man named Luther. Baptists have no such man. Somebody said, well, what about John? Well, John died long before our Bible was written. And and so uh, certainly he was a believer in Jesus Christ. He was the one that uh, introduced him to the world in which we live. But we do not have one great man or a group of great men that we go back to. It's interesting, different people, different historians trace the Baptists to different groups of people. They say, oh, they came out of England in the late 1500s and the early 1600s. And then another one says, no, it was Hans Goebel in Germany in the late 1400s and the early 1500s. And... and, uh, we, we uh, look into history and we find these several simple doctrines. The authority of the God's Word, baptism for believers only. That means baptism by immersion after salvation. It's interesting that there are some groups, many groups in history where a group of men got together and some of them might have been Catholic priests, some of them might have been Protestants later on, and they said, we can't agree with the Catholics, we can't agree with the Protestants, what will we do? Well, some of them actually baptized themselves. 
they all agreed, and, and I'm giving you a hit lesson, history lesson. I don't mean chase this rabbit too far, but as soon as they got the first guy baptized, you know what they said? Unless you're baptized by a pastor of like faith and practice, we won't accept that baptism. wonder where they got that idea. These are some of the things that we hold to as Baptists. And we believe the church is for believers. You don't come to the church to get your salvation. You must be saved before you become a member of a church. How many of you remember Charles Wesley? Great revivalist uh, of the uh, 1700s. You know what his... Uh, call in life was to bring salvation to the members of the Episcopal or Anglican Church. He said, we have all of these people who are in our church and they're not saved. And so I am called of God to be an evangelist to the church. Now, if you can't see something really messed up about that understanding of the church and of the Bible and of salvation, then uh, sign up after church and we'll try to help you straighten all that out. But the simple truth of the matter is, when we get to heaven, guess what we're going to believe in? We're going to believe in the authority of this book and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to believe in salvation by grace through faith in the risen Christ. And the book of Revelation has many boundaries placed in it and many separations. And John sees this holy city coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And verse 3 is one of the most comforting verses in all the Bible. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away." And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now let me ask you a question. Where did the throne come from? Well, look just back a few verses to Revelation chapter 20. There is a throne. That has been set. And it is from that throne that the Lamb has passed judgment on all of the unsaved souls of the history of mankind. And he is saying from that throne where he passed out his judgment, I am now going to make all things new. You see, our God is a God of judgment. He is a God that makes a difference between what is right and what is wrong. He is a God that cares about His words and what you and I do with them. And He is making a promise. How many of you would like to live in a world where there is no pain? Where there is no sorrow? Where there is no dying? You see, no sea, no separation, no death, no separation in the world that God will make. And it's interesting that the new Jerusalem does not show up until this new world is made. Now, I'm not quite sure how all of this plays together because we've got some verses here. And uh, I'll be very plain with you. I don't quite understand the whole thing. 
Is the new Jerusalem going to hover over the earth during the millennial kingdom? Or is it going to be the beginning of what we call eternity future? Uh, you can find about as many opinions on that point as you can find men to write about it. If we follow the, the, the pattern of the book here, we would see Armageddon, the millennial kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth, and then the new Jerusalem over the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, but when we get down to the end of this chapter, it says they're going to bring the glory of the nations into the new Jerusalem. Yeah, I saw a few wrinkled brows, and that's exactly where I am. You know what? We can just leave that one with our Lord. Amen? It would seem, according to that verse, that the new Jerusalem would be over the earth during the millennial kingdom. But it doesn't say that he's going to wipe away all tears and remove all pain until after the great white throne judgment, which doesn't happen until the thousand years has been completed. And so, we say, we will trust the Lord with the timing of the New Jerusalem. But it certainly seems from the setting of this chapter that there's going to be the new heaven and the new earth before the New Jerusalem shows up. The, the city is going to descend out of heaven and John describes it adorned as a bride for her husband. We come down here to verse 9. It says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Let's keep reading. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone. Now, jasper had a red color to it. Um, clear as crystal. And had a great a wall, great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates... Twelve angels, and names written thereon, which were the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof an hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundation of the wall of the city, and the foundations, I'm sorry, of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth uh, chrysasperus, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb 
is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of of water of life, clear as a crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river, there were, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These things are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Now, we've read the bulk of this passage here. He makes all things new. There's the promise of the water of life. It is the bride. The Lamb's wife is the city. Now, this city has some connections. The twelve gates have the twelve tribes of Israel. The foundations of the wall that hold the gates have the names of the apostles of the Lamb. Therefore, we know what we would call Old Testament saints, Israel. Going to be there. New Testament saints, the church, the apostles of the Lamb, going to be there. It says that there's going to be one fold and one shepherd. Now, one of the problems that we have in with dispensationalism is it tries to chop up everybody into little pieces and separate them. But here in the book of Revelation, we have no separation between the Old Testament saint and the New Testament saint. And so, what do we do? Well, we follow the Bible, amen? Uh, Dispensationalism at its best is simply a method of Bible study. Should you do anything more with it than that, you're going to get into trouble. And we have many of our brethren that do that. In fact, I had a preacher years ago say, that's your problem. He says, you use dispensationalism to study the Bible. He said, we use it to build doctrine. I said, whoa, wait a minute. You cannot use human reasoning to build Bible doctrine. What we do is we have to understand why we are no longer under obligation to take sacrifices to the temple in Jerusalem. And we read Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, and guess what's going to happen? If we understand it correctly, there's going to be sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. Because the sons of Zadok are going to flay the sacrifices and they're going to fulfill. Where is that temple come in? And when we start reading through those chapters in the following weeks, you're going to immediately begin to see chapter 47 is talking about Revelation chapter 22, the river of life. When we get to Zechariah chapter 14 and talks about his foot standing on the Mount of Olives and and the land and the geography of Israel being completely rearranged, it says there's going to be a river that flows out of Jerusalem and heals 
the Dead Sea. And so, we've already read these verses that talk about the uh, the healing of the nations and the kings of the earth bringing their glory into it. And that would seem to tell us that the new Jerusalem will be over the earth during the millennial kingdom. Now, when you have a contradiction or an apparent contradiction in Scripture, there are no true contradictions. You leave it up to God until he gives you the understanding. And guess what? We will see these things. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you say, how do, you get, how do I get my name in there? Well, I believe that every person's name was written in that book. And when we refuse Jesus Christ, he then blots our name out of the Lamb's book of life. Because there is a verse in the Bible where God is speaking and he said, I will not blot out his name. And so we believe Jesus died for all of the people who ever lived. Amen. We don't believe in a limited atonement, a limited salvation. We believe in a salvation that is available to whosoever will. But Jesus himself taught us that wide is the gate and broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction. Many be that go in thereat. He said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. He says, many are going to try and not they're not going to be able to make it. And so we look at what the Bible tells us here about this new Jerusalem. We sing songs, He the pearly gates will open. There are no pearly gates in heaven. If you pass from this life into the next, you will not be ushered through the pearly gates. You'll be ushered into the presence of God. I've heard many people talk about walking on the streets of gold and And a good friend of mine, Brother Clayton, always talks about, I'm going to raft down the river of life. I don't quite think that's going to happen, but the Bible says that all those who are saved are going to be able to drink from that river. That this city of the New Jerusalem is going to have the throne of God in it. The rough dimensions as far as we can understand is 1,500 miles square, a cube. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high, and 1,500 miles deep. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how it all works out, but it's a little smaller than our moon. And uh, everybody talks about living on the moon and everything. Well, God's not going to do that. He's going to bring a satellite, the New Jerusalem. It is the source of the river of life. It's going to flow out from under his throne when we read in the book of Ezekiel. It's going to come out from under the uh, threshold of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, I've got a picture and I'll just try to paint it with you for words and hope you don't mind me rambling. This is just too much information to cover in one service. But is... If the picture is right, the New Jerusalem is hovering over a rearranged geography in the land of Israel. It's going to be a huge flat plain, no longer mountains up and down. The water of life is going to come out of the New Jerusalem down to the city of Jerusalem on earth and flow down into the Dead Sea. And our understanding is those things will happen during the millennial kingdom. They'll be fishing in the Dead Sea. I don't know about you, but I love to fish. It is the best excuse God has given man for sitting still and doing absolutely nothing. And uh, 
unless the fish are biting, then it's a lot of fun. But the um, the the God is going to heal the Dead Sea. The only thing that lives there now is a few unique bacteria that live on salt. God destroyed that area because of the sin of man. He's going to make it brand new. Now, there are some things that in our mind, Revelation said there's no temple in the New Jerusalem. Ezekiel talks about that temple built here on earth. We, we really don't have a conflict there because God has promised Israel many things in the scriptures that have yet to be fulfilled. But he's also promised his church things in the scripture which we are waiting to be fulfilled. And all of these things are going to be tied together in this place called the New Jerusalem. And to try to explain it any more than that, I believe we would step off the bounds of truth and go into the realm of human conjecture, which is a very dangerous place to be. Uh, We'll figure the whole thing out when God shows it to us. Amen? But this is not the only place in the Scripture where the river of life is spoken of, where this kingdom is talked about. And so let's not allow ourselves to be swayed by those who would take portions of our Bible and say, we, we have no idea what they're talking about and what connection because no one has ever seen a building like Ezekiel's temple. It has never been built in the history of mankind, especially where God says it's going to be built and what's going to go on there, which is the worship of God. So the only thing that we can believe is this is talking about things yet future and that God will fulfill what is in the book of Ezekiel. I'm not giving up any of my Bible. Amen. We have other people that want to go through the Bible and try to make certain parts of the Bible apply to certain people and other parts not apply. Be careful about that. I've heard preachers say, well, the Sermon on the Mount isn't to Christians. It's to people who live in the kingdom. Well, according to the Bible, where are you you and I going to end up? In the kingdom? We're going to be priests and kings unto our God for a thousand years. We're going to reign with Him. So you better pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount. Amen? And one thing that I'm hoping to do without being too tedious is just like we've taken the pearly gates and the streets of gold out of this passage here and tried to apply them to different things, people will go into uh, Matthew chapter 24 and 25 where Jesus is giving what we call the Olivet Discourse He is talking about the tribulation period and Armageddon there. And they tried to make that talk about the rapture of the church. And so it's not. The the verses in the Bible that says there's two going to be there and one's taken, the other left. That is referring to the tribulation period. Because at the end of the tribulation period... God is going to separate the unsaved on earth from the saved on earth. And so we can't explain everything about eschatology. That's why it's such a big, hard-to-pronounce word. Amen? But one thing I do know, if you're saved, we're going to be in that city. We're going to walk through those gates because it says all whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. By the way, does that include the tribulation saints? 
Oh, you better believe it. By the way, do people get saved different ways in different parts of your Bible? Absolutely not. Salvation is by grace through faith. But our faith is connected to the revealed Word of God. And God gave us His Word in different portions over different time periods. And so my faith is going to look a little different. Noah's faith was to build an ark. Amen? Abraham's faith was to go whither he knew not into a land that God promised him. Moses' faith was to receive God's commandments and build the tabernacle. David's faith was simply to be obedient to the words of God and offer his sacrifices through the Levites. And every time David messed up there, he messed up as far as the entire kingdom was concerned. Our faith is in the finished work of the risen Lord. Amen? And so, as we look forward to the new Jerusalem, I don't know what transparent gold is going to look like. But I'll bet it's going to look a whole lot better than anything you've seen on earth. Amen? Those 12 foundations of that wall, which according to the measurement, if he were a normal man, the angel, would be 216 feet high. If he were a little bigger than normal, then the wall's going to be bigger. We, we just don't know. And how do you build a wall 216 feet high around a cube? I, I can't wrap my mind around that picture. It, it just, it's not there for me. Uh, because when I think of a cube, a cube is a box. So how do we build that wall around the box? Because the box is 1,500 feet high. Other than maybe that wall was built into the bottom layer of the box. And you have to go in and go up to get to the throne of God. I don't know. Uh, since it hovers over the earth, maybe it's in the middle. I mean, there's just... There are things that we cannot know. But we do know that it has the 12 tribes of Israel. God has not abandoned his people. They are still God's chosen people. The 12 apostles of the Lamb. That's talking about the church. And of course, there's probably somebody out there trying to figure out the name of the 12th apostle because Judas fell. Do you know they've written books on that? Some people believe it's Paul. Some people believe it was Matthias that was picked in, the, in uh, Acts chapter 1 there. And, and people argue about those things. I'll tell you when we'll know. When we stand in front of the city and can read the names. Amen. That's when we will know. Don't allow yourself to be drawn away by these strange and spurious little things that really don't matter. We're going to take our last few moments and go to the warning. Verse 8, verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The second death was finished. Revelation chapter 20. It's over. God is not going to take people out of the New Jerusalem and put them into... Because once you're written in the book of life, once you trust Jesus as your Savior, 
By the way, God's book is filled out because he knows who was going to live, who was going to believe, and who was going to reject it. That doesn't mean that God purposed for people to reject. It means that he gave us a free choice to receive or not to receive the truth of this book called the Bible. Amen? Just because God knew about it before you were born didn't mean he made you go to heaven. You find yourself in that list, fearful, unbelieving, idolaters, whoremongers, murderers, sorcerers. Look what the last one is. And all liars. wonder how many politicians are going to make it to heaven. Listen, the warning is for us to order our lives according to the Scripture to be prepared to live in that city with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? How do we overcome? Well, there's only one that has ever overcome. And that is the Lamb. And that's why we worship Him. And it says that the bride is the city. Now, one of the things about a wedding is we have one person separated two and four another person. And those two are supposed to be together. That's what marriage is about. And what God is saying is we will be one with him. I've often thought, what's it going to be like in heaven when I'm going to be there and my wife, who was my wife here on earth, is going to be there? But the simple answer is we will be closer in our relationship in heaven than we are here on earth. Because we will be one with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're one with Christ and I'm one with Christ, how close does that put us together? That's what the Bible says, what it means when it says, we shall know as we are known. And he's going to pass, the former things are going to be passed away. There's only going to be one thing upon your heart and mind in eternity. Fulfilling the will of the Lamb. And it's going to be wonderful. You never get distracted. Never run away. Never say, it's going to be too much of a challenge. Never have to worry about beating that old flesh down again so that we can be obedient to Christ. I like this city. And for all those people who love the country, we're going to spend all eternity in a city. Amen? Fifteen hundred miles cubed. I don't know how that's going to work. But I can't wait to figure it out. I can't wait to see the architecture. It says the city is like transparent glass. You can't even see 1,500 miles here on earth, but you'll see through the city. That's going to be incredible stuff. I mean, we could talk about all these little things all night, and that's not my intention. But read over these chapters. Read the things that are here, because in the next few weeks we're going to be trying to do the final put-together of the Old Testament prophecy, the New Testament prophecy, and piece this together and, and arrive at the place, give you the foundation and the reasoning why we come up with the timeline that we do and why we believe what we believe about the book of Revelation. Uh, there are a lot of people who don't believe there's going to be a kingdom. I don't know how you do that, reading the words of the Scripture. 
there are people who believe that the rapture is not going to happen until after the tribulation and that the church will go through the tribulation period. I'm, I don't know how you get there. That is foreign to my understanding of the scriptures. But what I want, and, and I've been told by people, well, your understanding is the most complex and complicated. Well, has what we have studied over the last year been simple in the book of Revelation? No. Uh, I mean, it's been pretty mind-bending. And what we want to do is account for the differences. Because if you try to make things that are different the same, you get into trouble. If you try to make things that are the same different, you get into trouble. And it takes quite a bit of study to get there. And so I want us to fasten our seatbelts and put away the commentaries and get out God's commentary and try to follow what he says is going to happen because the Bible says we will be blessed by reading and understanding the book of Revelation. And I'll tell you one of the greatest blessings I know of is looking forward to that new Jerusalem, looking forward to that river of life. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you at this time and just ask, Lord, I just pray that there would be some things in this message tonight that would minister to hearts, that would give us the courage to lift up the hands that are heavy and to take the discouragement and the weariness that the world would foist upon us and lay it aside that we may be ready to meet you when you come. We pray that you would guide and Lord, I pray that you would help me and in the time of study that there would be time to investigate these things and to as much as is humanly possible understand what is in your word. I ask you to direct us, to guide us, but Lord, most of all, that you would sear into our conscience to be ready to live with you in that city. In your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll take just a moment. If the Lord has laid something upon your heart, the altar is open. And then we'll sing and be dismissed.